0: Thanks, Peter. And thanks for all those prayers, by the and, and for the lovely reading of the scriptures. Um, uh, it was a confusion which I'm, I'm entirely to blame. I sent out a passage, that second summer passage, and I had included first Samuel, first Samuel 6, 8 to 16. So I had practiced that, but, and then this morning, very in a panicky, we'll say, it's such a second summer. <laughs> Uh, it turns out those passages are quite similar and they speak about the same uh, incident you know, the same context uh, the story that I'll be looking at today um, Coming to Oxford evokes uh, a sense of homecoming for me um, having spoken of my, my time in Oxford uh, and in many ways um, triggering, triggering something that has been kind of going on in my mind for the last year or so um, I had to go home Just over a year ago, home being Kenya, Um, it it feels awkward because we we kind of have lost a sense of where is home. You know, having lived in Ghana for so many years, and then I come from Kenya, Claire comes from Surrey, something like that, and now we're based in Liverpool. Sometimes when you speak, we say home, you actually have to qualify where where is home. (laughs) Uh, So that's quite a real question for me about where home is. And um, just over a year and a half ago, I had to make the the most difficult homecoming. You know. Journey. I had to travel to Kenya to bury my mother, who had died suddenly, and, and that was difficult. Um, the whole way to the airport, the whole way on the plane, uh, and then arriving, it's the worst kind of returning home you'd want to, to, to go through, and you don't recover from that really. And so that's a year and, just a year and a half ago. Uh, I was also privileged through work to travel to Kenya two weeks ago. And, uh, That was also another sense of homecoming that was equally sad, because um, I knew I would go home to see my brothers and sisters But really, could I call it home? Home was mum, and mum was home, and she wasn't there anymore So is it really homecoming? So when they asked me, do you have a title for for, for your message, I thought I was being haunted by that whole idea of homecoming so I said, Peter, it has to be homecoming, uh, seeing, believing, and belonging. And and those passages, uh, for me, uh, are quite clear about needing to belong, needing to, to see, to understand, and to believe and to become. And um, so yeah, that's the, the, the my touch, t- t- my 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 message today: uh, homecoming, seeing, believing. And belonging. But the theme of seeing, as was read very well for us, is very, it's very clear in the passage of John. You know, John speaks of the light, and then he launches into this seeing. I saw him, uh, they saw him, he saw them, come and see, and so on. So then, encounter with Jesus brings to these jews jewish you know adherents or devotees if you like devotees to a uh, traditional jewish religion john philip and you know and the company the encounter with jesus brings to them um or brings about a fulfillment of a pre-christian aspiration a pre-Christian longing that was definitely within their, their hearts and minds uh, to, 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 in a sense, as if to fulfill that which was the pursuit of a people, that, was, that which constituted their, their, their deepest and most profound sense of identity. To be a Jewish person there was to be immersed, what mind and soul, if you like, in the heritage of the Jewish people, you know, in the scriptures. In in the in the law, law of Moses, in the prophets, but also in sometimes what's called the the Psalms or the Holy Writings, the Ketuvim in the Hebrew as it's known. So if you are a good Jewish, you know, student or a good Jewish, you know, citizen of the Jewish nation, you would be very familiar with these writings, with this heritage that has become part of your own heritage. But there was something that was sort of incomplete, you know when they encounter Jesus, it's as if they are declaring, and actually John is declaring to the world, you know, the fulfillment of what constituted Jewishness becomes fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So, seeing Jesus was the realization of that which the prophets, well, the law, the prophets, and the holy writings was about. It's a great moment. It's a great a new creative stage, if you like, for these people. But John will tell us just writing about these things alone makes our joy complete. Even writing about them, not, not, not the real writing about them makes his joy complete. And he declares that very clearly. Well, see, what happens among these Jew- Jewish people? And here's a representative small group also happens elsewhere, it happens in Europe, when Christianity becomes a religion that many identify as their own. It happens in in the Americas, when Christianity crosses the Atlantic, happens in Africa and elsewhere in the southern continent, whether it's in Asia or or other parts of the world. And it's that realization of Christianity for these people, for us also, becomes not only just a religion, but also the, 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 the impact of Christ upon a people's lives, upon a people's thought, if you like. So if you speak of theology, for example, which is the area I'm trained in, we are talking about Christian thought, based on the experience of a people about who Christ is, about how Christ comes to impact their lives and change their lives. Uh, someone like Andrew Walsh describes Christianity, says, strictly Christianity is a vernacular, a vernacular translation movement. Because it, it, people become aware of who Christ is in their, in their own existential realities, in their own, you know, traditional contexts. Even in their own languages, they begin to comprehend, to speak about God and also to speak to God in their own languages. So I look around and see the diversity of people here. That's the reality, it's historical reality. And what John tells us in these passages becomes not only just a testimony, a religious account, but also a historical fact. It happened. You know, uh, people who dismiss Christianity and they give reasons for the reasons why they dis- dis- dismiss Christianity sometimes ignore the fact that actually Christianity and the Christian experience is a historical reality for many people across the ages, including our own times. Yet Christ, the Saviour, in this case, deepens the quest of these people. Now, come and see, he calls them. And he promises that greater things than this you shall see. It's interesting how um, they say, Rab- Rabbi, I went to believe. <laughs> and he says to them, come and see. Well, if he's implying that place where he lived, well, it's probably coming out if you... I don't know whether you've ever wondered where was Jesus' house. Uh, I've had people say, and I think there's good reason to think so, that house in Capernaum, where the, 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 the paralytic man was dropped in, where the roof was ripped in <laughs> order to drop, that was probably Jesus' house. But surely what a disappointment. Come and see bed sitter, you know, whatever it was. But then Jesus will blow their minds later on, and John gives the account later on in chapter 14, when Jesus starts to speak about, in my father's house, how many mansions, how many rooms, if it were not, I have told you, I'm going to, be. so you'll be with me where my father is, whoa, it's, it's more than just this shack in Capernaum, where, with, with perhaps, needing roof renovations, <laughs> it's that bad. So he begins to take them beyond their indigenous heritage, that which they had longed for, to something greater, something beyond, beyond that traditional, Jewish traditional uh, heritage, religious heritage. Well, John speaks about seeing the Lamb of God. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, it talks about having seen the Spirit come on Jesus. He talks about, and I have seen him. I have seen, and I testify that he is God's chosen one. And then, as we've said, Jesus sees them, and they see Jesus, and he invites them to come and see. Even more than they had anticipated, Nathaniel is challenged. It challenges is one you know, a cynical type can anything could come out of not, uh, 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 Nazareth? Come and see, and, and actually, it's interesting if you just pause for a moment when Jesus says, I saw you under the tree. Whoa, uh, is that a profound thing to say when Jesus says, I saw you under the tree, a true Israelite of tre- That alone, actually, this cynic turns around, Rabbi. You are the king of Israel. You are the son of God. He declares, just from Jesus' I saw you. What's going on in Nathaniel's mind? And then he's invited alongside his, his, his friends, you know, his company, to see greater things. I don't know whether you know, uh, and I'm sure some of us here have, have, have known that greeting. I see you. Well, it's not an avatar thing you see. You know, if you have going to see the, the film Avatar and the second one, I, I would highly recommend you go to see it. You know, when they, they greet, I see you. Uh, James Cameron, the director, is, 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 he's starting to do something new in this film. It's something actually that, it's, it's a greeting that is in existence among many communities in the world. Um, it is J.B. Taylor. J.B. Taylor, who uh, was a, um, uh, an Anglican bishop had spent many years in, in Uganda as a missionary, uh, returned and become the Bishop of Winchester, and actually retired here in Oxford. And he lived at Aston Street, just between Ithley Road and Cowley Road. His house is based there. He wrote a book in 1957, whose title was The Primal Vision. And in that book, which has become quite a, a masterpiece you know, master for you know, in our circles of studies, he described a scene, a scene where a young girl comes to visit him in the house that he lived in in, in Uganda. And this young girl comes, he just, she just comes and observes him from a distance and then greets him. I see you. And of course he greets back, he knows that's how he greets. I see you too, you see? Well, it, it's, it's a scene that's more than just, you know, using your eyes to, to, to see an, an object in front of view. It's a deeper sense of seeing, a seeing that comes with an affirmation of the heart, an acknowledgement of the other, but also an opening of the heart to the other, a seeing of Jesus involving a believing who Jesus is, a realization of who he is, truly the son of God, the King of Israel. He will tell you later, not long actually, I wonder what he was saying this at Capernaum, in that house, when he, so he says to them, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, that scene involves realization that actually he is the one. And we, 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 we must not wait or expect any other. And our lives must be fully given, dedicated to him. It also involves seeing a greater community, not in a greater community of God and His Son, but also a greater community of the people of God, Um, a greater community of people who worship God, people who have seen God, and God has seen them, and they have become the greater community of those who worship God. You see, Jesus knows you. He knows us. He sees you. He sees us. But do you see him? Do you see him in that kind of seeing that entails knowing who he is and submitting to who he is, fully, believing and belonging to him. You see, to these disciples of Jesus Christ, and now they are fully gathered. Now they become disciples of Jesus. They follow him about. It's as if they found a place to feel at home. To feel completely at home. And they follow him. Wherever he goes, they go. Even another cynic or another doubter, Thomas, later, let's just go and die with him in Jerusalem. It's a life and death matter. They will follow him to the dead if necessary. Well, we, we know how that transpires, but they do reconstitute in that way. He sees you. But do you see him? You see, um, we're never alone as a as a as an aspiring or as an increasingly naturalizing labor put I should say to you, never walk alone. <laughs> <laughs> Alone. <laughs> he sees us, but do you see him? You see, finding Christ and knowing Christ is the great homecoming. It's the ultimate homecoming. And it's constituting of not only aligning one's life fully, but also finding meaning, the meaning of the very life, the meaning of life and thought. John says in the same chapter one, uh, verse eleven to twelve, he says, those who he came to his own in the first place, they rejected him. But to as many as believed in him, they were given the power, sometimes another translation, the right to become children of God. See? Becoming, belonging to the people of God, to the family of God. You see, that which constitutes our greatest pursuit in life, the passion of our hearts, you know, in a deeper sense, also constitutes our comfort zone, our security, a sense of belonging, a homecoming even, you see, even the very best of those things that constitutes you know, security, careers, even, I mean, Oxford is a great place to pursue careers. But even that, the very best of that, which we may identify as our true sense or source of security, might disappoint. is bound to disappoint or to fall short, you see. Um, as I said coming back to Oxford kind of evokes a sense of ho- homecoming to me. The last time I was in Oxford, I was quite disappointed, actually, because I thought I knew Oxford well, and I still think that I probably, no, well, a little bit still, but I decided uh, where we stayed, I'll do a roast. You know, it's a Kenyan thing, you know, Yamachoba, you know, I do roast, I'm just, you know, kind of, you know, uh, barbecue. Uh, but it was, you know, a proper roads and and, and twenty five years ago, uh, we knew where to go. County Road was the, the main main place. Sometimes you you kind of upped the game and came to corn market and got a nice cut. So I went to to, to Road with my son Isaac, and we put from one butcher butcherery to another. And I was just in shock the whole time because in our day you could go to those you know it's usually Asian and, and so halal meat, and you could buy a whole sheep even. We used to do this when we were around a bunch of canyons and wanted to have a good time, ground your sore or them. And you buy even a whole, whole sheep. It £6.99, £6.99, a whole, only f- four legs. <laughs> and okay. uh, I popped into one butcher to, and into another. I couldn't even find a place I could buy one kilo for less than £8. <laughs> Oh, you know, we walk back home, uh, Chris and for me to was and disappoint. disappointment, because I couldn't treat my son to what I thought was, okay, let's have an Oxford experience, you know, as far as I <laughs> But see, even the very best disappoints or fall short. But careers too can fall short, and they do. Marriages can fall short, and they do. That which we hold dear to us can actually disappoint us. Even our homes. I've just spoken about my own home, can disappoint, can fall short. See, in order to see the veil, that which blocks our ears must, the veils need to fall down, the scales, in our eyes must fall in order for us to see. We must be disabused of the temporal transient, those that perhaps give us a false sense of security. And this is thus with his disciples. It's not just being a Jewish pastor, it's not just belonging to the Hebrew tradition. No, they needed to, to seek Jesus for who he is and follow him. And in Jesus, they found a place to feel at home. We have found him, of whom the law and the prophets spoke. You see, there's something profound here that sometimes we just skim through or read through. You see, these are the first recipients of the gospel, if you like. But even the Jews needed to settle account with Jesus. Even these Jews, the very first recipient of the Christian message, this salvation message, the gospel, needed to make the connection of who Christ was. And and this happens, you know. Sometimes people say, oh, Christianity is not a religion for Africans. It's a Western religion. Of course, how untrue I mean, how not a fact that is. Um, And and the reason they would say, oh, we have our own religions, traditional religions and uh, We should stick to them, even to those to whom it was their traditional heritage. They needed to make a, to, to to make the connection of who Christ was. Just like you and I today, uh, unless you're a gentile. Uh, unless you're a Jew here, by the way, you're a Gentile. <laughs> no matter where you come from, even 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 British people and Americans, uh, as long as you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile, and you too need to make account to settle account to make that connection of who Christ is. Equally like the Jews, like John, like Pete, Philip, like Andrew, these first disciples. You see, it is finding the real sense of, and the scriptures also talk about, Shalom, rest. Uh, I like the West African basha. I don't know if there's anyone here from West Africa, particularly, oh yes, Nigeria, Ghana, the northern parts, they have this concept uh, of alafia. And a life is that sense of complete sense of well-being. Now, a very wealthy man. is A true story is given in one of the accounts by J D Y P about the, the Yoruba of Nigeria. A very wealthy man. He was so wealthy, full of titles. Full. I mean, one of the marks of success and wealth was you had many wives and you had many children. And um, he decided to become a Christian. Joshua Kukomi. This is a real sp- historical account. So, people came to Joshua, who me, and said, What? Why have you become a Christian? You are a, a wealthy man. You have, you have many titles. You have many wives. You have many children. Why have you become a Christian? And this is what he said to them Yes, I, I, I'm a wealthy man. Yes, I have many wives. I have many children. But all those things could not give me a Latvia. But when I became a, a Christian, I have no abandoned alafia. Uh, If you speak plenty, alafia, you know, in the (laughs) pigeon. You see? So this sense of well-being, complete sense of well-being, shalom, rest, can only be realized in Christ. And people continue to do that, even in our day. But have you found that to be true for you as well? Have you seen that to be the case in your life? In my life, I have to ask myself, Continuously. There's, there's a beautiful um, encounter in the Old Testament. So you see, when Jesus makes this declaration to them, that they will see greater things than these, and he tells them he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one else comes to the Father except through him, John uh, 14, 6. You know, he also says, from now on, verse 7 of the passage we read, from now on you do know him and have seen him. Well, it's John who tells us this. There's a, there's a beautiful account in the Old Testament that I would like to, to relate to this. Um, I think it's worth they're that moment, when David, King David, decides to to, to to go and bring back the Ark of the Covenant where it had been, you know, the Philistines there was war and it had been taken over by this the elimination. nation. Uh, the first attempt was a disaster, if you read the account. Uh, because they go out there and, and of course, you know, the ark is carried on the horse cart and you know the story how this you know it's a rough away and it shakes and one of the young boys reaches out to steady the cart and is killed instantly. And David is afraid, the whole company is afraid, and they decide to leave the ark in, in the outskirts, you know, bordering, bo- bordering, bordering, um, this foreign land. It's, it's, for now, let's just call it foreign land, in a household of a man called Obed-Edom. You read very well, by the way. Yeah, well done. Um, and, um, and, but David is very disappointed. Actually, he's quite angry with God. Why? Why should um, someone die? We're just trying to bring the ark back to Jerusalem to the rightful worship place. But then David the king goes on to a moment of soul searching and he realizes the mistake that had been done. It was not, it was not done in the proper way. It ought to have been brought back by the Levites, those who are, whose duty it was to handle the most sacred you know, ark of the covenant. Uh, and he, he hadn't done that. So the next mission Bring back the ark is a successful and There's a lot of rejoicing, uh, but it's constituted of Levites only. It's a Levitical procession. Now, notice two things. The first time David goes out, he goes as a king in his military, you know, he's he's the commander of the military, and he goes out there to bring the the, the sheep, the ark of the covenant. It's a disaster. The second time, I don't know whether you picked that up, and if you didn't, please look at that passage again, 2 Samuel 8 to 16. It's also in the Chronicles, by the way, the the more detailed account. David dresses as a priest, completely an effort. Uh, Isn't that strange? A king, a military commander, dressing as a priest, but that's how he does and he marches on with them in a procession of Levites to go to Obed Edom's house. And again, second, second surprise there for me was who is Obed Edom? Now, I've, I've, I've looked at different accounts and different scholars try to justify the fact that he was, a, he was of the Jewish heritage or a, or, or a Hebrew or a He wasn't. He's a Gittite. Now, who is, who is a Gittite? When is the last time you had a man called or described as a Gittite? Anyone? A Gittite? A very famous Gittite. You've surely come across him. Goliath. Goliath was a Gittite. Who is a Gittite? He's a Philistine. Now, this Ark of the the, the most holy Ark of the Covenant. Had been left in a household of a Philistine man who feared God. Now, if you look at names in the names in the Chronicles, particular, there's a long list of all the Levites who were involved in that mission to bring back the ark. All their names are singular names. He's the only one of Edom with a hyphenated name. In fact, it wasn't even his real name. Obed, of course, is a a Jewish Hebrew name and it has its meaning. Um, And I can tell you, because I checked that out. Um, Obed, the, the, the one who honors God. It's what it means in the Hebrew. The one who honors God in the right way. Obed. What about Edom? You know, Edom means the red faced. Now, why is he the red-faced? They tell us, you know, those who have looked into these this, this studies, that when David came the first time and there was this disaster, David was red-faced. When he left the house, it was almost out of embarrassment that he left the Ark of the Covenant in Obed-Edom's household. He's a Philistine. He's a Gittite. He's embarrassed. And his face, he couldn't, remember, his face betrayed him you know, rushed. But that's how this man comes to be known as Obed-Edom. But notice what happens next. When David comes with the procession of the Levites to take back the ark to Jerusalem, its rightful place, Obed-Edom joins the company. He too comes back to Jerusalem. And he too becomes a minister at the altar. And he's actually the doorkeeper. Well, he's a (laughs) <laughs> Perhaps because he's the one who could survive that, that, that judgment in the first place and not be struck dead, he's given the duty of becoming uh, the doorkeeper of one of the worship, worship leaders, you know in, the, in Jerusalem, at the place of worship. Well, what's the what's symbolism of this, you know? From a very early stage, we see that the, 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 the message of salvation, the message of redemption, the, the gospel, if you like, was intended for all people, from all nations. And then gets it, and Obadiah <coughs> becomes part of that company of the worshippers of God, those who worship God in the right way, those who see God and worship God in the right way. David sees it too. He too becomes one of the worshippers of God. So it is clear the manifestation of God's presence in Jesus Christ, in the worship of God's people, you know, it's, a, it's a result of God's goodness and mercy to his people. So David has heard about it. He goes about it the right way. He brings back the washing. You know, every home, homecoming, as I said, can be disappointing, can can fall short. Every secure, whatever, security, whether it's, um, as I said, career, whether it's, uh, if you have an Oxford degree, if you study here, that's a sure thing in life. You know, you can open doors. But even that can disappoint, you see. Well, even the worship in Jerusalem can fall short. Because not long after David, you would know from your history of Israel, that even Jerusalem would fall, and the temple would ultimately be destroyed. Well, 585, 586, sometimes 587, of course the battle, and Jerusalem falls. Uh, if you fast forward, even in the New Testament, after Jesus had been and these disciples have been established, even Jerusalem, in the New Testament, and the Temple also falls. AD 70, AD 70, the temple falls. So even that which constitutes the highest sense of sacredness, or the highest sense of, um, of, of identity of a people in this case, the Jewish, that too can fall short. But guess what? Jesus does not fall short. Jesus does not disappoint. You can destroy the temple that is called by God's name, but you cannot destroy the God who lives in that temple,
1: who is worshipped
0: in that temple, by whose name that temple has been enacted. And Jesus is coming to, to give him something beyond that which Beyond the, the temporal, beyond the, 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 the material, beyond that which can be lost. say, so if I've seen me, you have seen the Father. Yeah, and invites them to be part of that community of God. For me, this is the truest homecoming. That cannot be lost. Homes can be lost. Marriages can, families can be lost. I and mean, careers. Jobs, you know, stability of all, for even health. I'll be 50 next week. And I began to feel vulnerable in many ways. Even I used to be a gymnast, you know, when I was much young. I used to flip in the air. I tried doing that the other day and I came out with sore yeah. limbs all over. <laughs> you can lose even that was which was a sure thing for you whatever it is, <laughs> but not Christ, never Christ, and when he spoke to his, his disciples, even as he was about to go, and of course they were sad, they were moved, and, and he said, I am with you always, to the end of times, always. I could speak of, time will not permit, of uh, what Andrew Walsh describes as a pilgrim, an indigenizing principle, and a pilgrim principle. And he talks about how, yes, Christ comes to fulfill us, even in our traditional indigenous settings, in our life as people, you know, yet also he comes to transform us, to give us that which is more than what our traditional indigenous heritage can give us. He gives us something more, much more than we could ever bring about through our own industry, our own strength, our own wisdom. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, including our own. He's the King of Israel. He's the Savior of the world. See, faith in Jesus is comprised of the community of believers in Christ. It becomes a, a place to feel at home. And that place is Jesus himself. Yet this is only possible, and this is my last point by the way, this is only possible if we, if we see Jesus for who he is, the Savior the Messiah, the one who takes away the sin of the world, and the one who leads us home, where we should never have had to live in the first place, but to God himself. Amen. Amen.